Hey guys, this is our new series called Fearless Generosity, and this series will show you how to not be afraid of giving generously, such as your time, your heart, and your love, and it will show you that everything starts with your heart. If it's your first time here, you haven't been in here in a while, uh, you're here uh, at the Irvine campus for Mariner's Church, and you guys may not know this, or maybe you do, but there's actually four other, or three other campuses around Orange County, uh, one in Huntington Beach, one in Mission Viejo, and one in San Juan, San Juan Capistrano. And in each one of those buildings, there's groups just like this of junior high students that are learning the exact same thing uh, with leaders who care about them just as much as our leaders care about you. And it's this cool thing that we get to, in some way, be a part of like this bigger picture of things that are happening with junior high students in Orange County. So if you didn't know that, now you do. It's great stuff. I love it. Uh, in your hands, you should have one of these bulletins. Uh, if you don't have one and don't have a pen, I want you to raise your hand and Marshall's going to come around and make sure you get one. I want one in every hand of every student, that and a pen. And this is the reason why. Uh, on the front of this, it has some announcements, different things that are coming up. We have an overnighter coming up, like last year's Mystery Manor. We're doing something else. It's called It. But it's an overnighter. It's going to be great. Um, in the back is where you can take some notes on today's lesson. Hopefully I teach something worth learning. So uh, check that out. Take some notes. But here's the part that's most important. You can rip this off. This is so good. After winter camp, we got back. Who went to winter camp with us, by the way? And still have their bracelets on. Pretty good, right? Okay. So we got back from winter camp. And this is the number one thing I heard from students just like you. Junior high students that love Jesus, want to know more about God, don't, don't know exactly where to start. Uh, and they, we were talking, kind of having coffee and just discussing this. And one of the things they said was, you know what would be so great? When we sit down to open God's word, so we're at home and we open up our Bible, we don't really know what to read. We don't know what to look at. So what would it look like for the church to help us kind of with a direction or a roadmap of where to check out scripture? So we came up with this thing to put on our bulletin every single week. So every single week, you will have Monday through Friday verses that you can look at. Uh, it's the same verses that every other service gets. Every student that comes to junior high at Mariners will get these verses. We'll put them on Facebook. You can read them. Uh, but it gives you a direction of stuff you can read to go deeper in your faith with Jesus on a weekly, on a regular basis. Pretty excited about that. And then the other side, we have the image of the week. Who knows Jack Nicholas? Jack Nicholas loves to put peanut butter on his face. The man loves peanut butter on his face. I don't know why he loves it so much, but he just gets that Peter pan and just starts putting it all over his face with a butter knife. The guy just loves it. I don't know why. But he's our first image of the week. Every week, we're going to do a new image of the week. If you take a good picture throughout the week and think it should be the image of the week, you need to email me. And this is what you're going to do. Collect these like trading cards. Put them up in your room. Collect them in your house, whatever. And certain times throughout the year, we're going to tell you about different things we have to give away to you. And all you have to
So I went later in the day to go get these uh, textbooks, and what happened was uh, I didn't really know where to find them. See, unlike grade school where your teacher gives you your textbook, uh, they, uh, they require us to go buy our own books and kind of take care of our own books. So we had to go to the bookstore, get our own books, and I'm walking in there, never been to a college bookstore, kind of walking around with my list of books. You know, Can anyone help me find these books? I don't know where to go. And I'm kind of making a scene and being loud like all of you know that I can be. And so I'm kind of just, you know, j- you know, just doing goofy stuff. Well, in walks this guy from the back room with a mask over his face. Now, at first I'm thinking, oh, this is fun college stuff, a guy wearing a mask. I don't know why I thought that was just fun college stuff, but I did. So he comes out with his mask on and then pulls out a shotgun. And immediately I'm starting to think, maybe this isn't as fun college stuff as I thought it was. And he's like, everyone, get on the ground. And he's robbing the bookstore. And he, he pulls the you know, thing and pulls the trigger and blows a hole through like this tile, uh, like this foam tile roof we have. You kind of see it in your schools probably. There's a foam tile roof. Blows a hole in it. Everyone Everyone screams, everyone's scattering. I'm, you know, dodging behind this bookshelf and kind of sitting there behind this bookshelf. Now, keep in mind, I'm very young at this point. I'm not 28, I'm 18, so this is a decade ago. Uh, there, I had uh, a lot of hair, so I was, you know, a very, you know, powerful guy because I had hair just like Samson. Uh, I, uh, you know, was in pretty fair shape because I just got out of high school and I was a wrestler in high school. So I'm thinking to myself, and I'm looking at these guys next to me, and I look at these two kind of bigger guys next to me who are sitting kind of by another bookshelf, and he's still robbing the bookstore by the registers trying to get in. I look at him and I said, we can totally take that guy. Let's do it. And they look at me like I'm crazy, but I was totally confident. I was like, we can do this. Let's go. His back is turned. You know, the gun's kind of on the side. We can just rush him and, you know, maybe one of you will get shot, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. And then I'll take him down and I'll be the hero. Everyone will know who I am. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe they'll build a statue to me at the school and they'll be like, who's that guy? Like, Ten years later, like, who's, who's Justin Herman? And it's like a statue of me with my muscles. And they're like, oh, that's, that's Justin Herman. He's a hero. He saved from the legendary bookstore robbery, the bookstore bandit. He stopped him. And I was thinking how cool that would be. Now, these guys didn't want any part of it, so I ended up not doing it. But I wasn't willing to surrender. I was willing to do some cool stuff. I was willing to do something kind of outside the box, kind of different, because I'm not a surrender kind of guy. I've never been a surrender kind of guy. Most of you guys are not surrender kind of people. You know, if you play sports, typically you're not sitting there like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play, but, you know, if it starts to get difficult, I'm just going to surrender. No one says that. Everyone, they play hard to the very end. If you're studying for a test, chances are, regardless of how difficult the test is, you're not saying, well, you know, it's so difficult, this is so hard, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to surrender, I'm going to give up. You know, most of the time, surrender is not put in such a good light. Surrender is sometimes viewed as kind of a negative thing. Even nationally, our government, we, we wouldn't surrender a war. We wouldn't, we wouldn't look and say uh, to, to a hostage taker that we're going to negotiate with you. Like, we are not a surrender type people. When you hear surrender, you immediately kind of think, like, I would never do that. Even in a dangerous spot, most of us would be, would be willing to to just go after it, fight through it, uh, you know, press through to victory. They're not going to surrender. That is me. Maybe it's you. To, you know, it's the country we live in, the culture we have. But this is the thing. As convinced I am of, of that framework, for us as junior hires and for adults and even as our country, not really surrender type country, I want to be more inclined to look at what God has to say about surrender. You know, when you're in a dangerous spot, what does he have to say about you surrendering or pressing forward? You know, what's the most dangerous spot any of you have ever been in? 
you know, me and my bookstore is pretty dangerous. Does anyone have like a dangerous spot they've been in? They were like, all right, where's your dangerous spot? Downtown LA, hanging out downtown LA, wearing the wrong color, that's super dang. You don't want to be doing, walking around wearing a red t-shirt in some parts of LA. And that's not a joke, that's serious stuff. I watch Locked Up Abroad. All right, go ahead. What's the most dangerous? I watch Locked Up Abroad, by the way. That is a dangerous show. Perfect. Your dad and you, and your dad is a hardcore guy. I know your dad. He's not joking around. Driving through a small town in Mexico, a guy starts firing at your car. What did your dad do? Did he surrender? No, he Didn't surrender. He just drove on through. He's a man. That's what men do, right? They just drive on through. Now, this is the thing. I want to get to the place where we talk about the most dangerous spot for Jesus, and it may not be what you think it is. In order to get to that spot, I want to kind of create the roadmap that we're going to take to get there. So I want everyone to pay attention to the screen, write this stuff down, this is good stuff here. Mark chapter 10, this is what it says, this is what Mark has to say. First stop on our journey to the most dangerous spot. Mark chapter 10, then, Jesus and John, or then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So, let's just take a break. These disciples are looking at Jesus, the Son of God. He's calmed the seas. He's fed 5,000. He's done miracles, and they've looked at him and just said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. All right, that's a pretty big demand to be making of Jesus. This is what it says in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? Pretty reasonable question Jesus has. Verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Verse 39, it's not on the screen, but this is what he said. They simply said, we can, they answered. That's what scripture says. All right, let me paint a quick picture for you. So they're looking at Jesus and saying, we know that you're the son of God. We have seen the things you've done, and we have decided that you were, in fact, the Son of God. You do miraculous things. We hear your teachings. They're so wise. We see how you interact with other religious leaders. We see uh, how you calm seas and how you feed 5,000. And we believe that the time is going to come where you will be in heaven and we will be there with you. When that time comes, we want you to not just let us be in the masses of people. We actually want you to come and sit at our right and left hand. It's kind of as if of uh, Toffoli. Where's Toffoli? Come on over here, Toffoli. Uh, it's almost of Toffoli over here uh, and uh, um, um, Hyde. Come on over here. So Toffoli and Hyde are coming up and they come to me and they say, Justin, we know that you're the junior high pastor for the junior high ministry of this church. We know that you have tons of students who do great stuff. They do serve projects and they, they meet every week and they do small groups during the week. But we specifically want to ask you that when the time comes, we want to sit at your right and left hand. We want to rule over. We want to be in charge. We want to be known and noticed by everyone else. That's what they're saying. Now, they came to Jesus with it. You guys can go take a seat. So they came to Jesus just like that. They got up from their chairs, wherever they were sitting around a campfire or, you know, walking through the mountains, and they said, Jesus, we want to sit at your right and left hand. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I'm about to drink from? It, you, you think that what is most important is you being elevated above everyone else. You think the attention and the glory and the status is, gonna, is in some way going to help you be remembered. This is what helps you be remembered, Jesus says. He says it back in 
Mark chapter 10. This is good stuff. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is what he's saying. I didn't come here to be served by everyone else as a king. I came as a king to serve everyone else. You know, it, it makes me think of, you know, the way we look at structure and status here, even, even in, in junior high, maybe in our schools, or maybe even just in, in our city, in our state, in our country. We look at those who are in power, and we serve them, and we vote for them, and we, we look at them and say, man, they, look at all the great stuff they're doing. And we want to be a part of that. We want to be around those people who are doing great stuff. But this is what Jesus is saying. In the midst of doing great stuff, in the midst of healing people and feeding 5,000, in the midst of calming the seas, I came to serve you. That, that your memory is not going to be one of how you elevated yourself or got status or position or authority above others, but, but the journey actually takes you to a place of humility and making yourself less so you can make other people more, so you can be served less as a king, so you can serve other people. Now, this is kingdom upside-down stuff. This is in, insanity to most people that were listening to it because God is, is saying that, that my grace is more important than your status. My understanding for the need of the people, the needs of those around me, my desire to serve them, my grace that is overflowing and never ending, and there is no bottom to it. It is bottomless, and it is, it is, it is fresh, and it, it, the water brings life. This, this grace flood that he has for us, he's telling us that people who understand God's grace, they're the ones who are able to live generous in a world of scarcity. Those of us who understand God's grace are able to live generously in a world of scarcity. That when there is less, we don't look for how we can get more, we look for how we can do more for others. Now, for Jesus, he had a really good deal here. You know, he was here as the son of God. He was 100% man and 100% God, and he was here in one person. And while that is a whole lesson in and of itself, unpacking that, just for the moment, take my word for it. He came as 100% man and 100% God. But, and while he's walking, he's teaching his disciples this lesson, that the day is going to come where I am going to be gone. The day is going to come where I will be taken in the hands of the religious people, the religious leaders, uh, those who are looking to kill me, and they will be, uh, I will be delivered into their hands. They will succeed. I will be murdered. And then three days later, I'll rise again. Now, he's talked to this uh, idea to his disciples many times. He did once in Mark 8. He discussed this in detail. In Mark 9, this is what it says. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know they were there. He just wanted to spend time with his disciples. He, he wasn't advertising his small group. He wasn't inviting everyone to come participate and take pictures and run around and throw balls at each other. No, no. He, he wanted time with his small group by himself. He wanted to lead his little small group of disciples alone. And he had a lesson to teach them. This is, this is it, starting with verse 31. Because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, these religious people, uh, those who plotted against him. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. This is what it says in verse 32. Catch this. Look at the screen. 
but they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. See, for some, fear keeps us from hearing the truth, because the truth might be very frightening. You know, for the disciples, this is a really frightening truth. The one who had all the answers, Jesus, is now telling them that, that yes, in fact, there is a time where I am leaving. Now, this is all on the path to the most dangerous spot. So he's telling them, there's going to come a time where I'm not going to be here anymore. And they're sitting there listening to this. Jesus had all the answers. You know, Jesus, he's the one that calmed the seas. He's the one, he's the one that we're asking things of. He's the one that healed people. What, I don't understand what life is going to be like without him. I don't understand him leaving and how that's going to help us at all. It might be another parable, right, guys? Yeah, the, the disciples, they're talking together. Yeah, yeah, this is probably just another parable, right? I mean, this is, he's just using a story to teach us like he always does. He's just using an example. He's not really going anywhere, right? But, but no, no, no. Jesus knows he's going somewhere. He knows he's going somewhere very soon. You know, all this is, is preparation for what is the most dangerous spot of the Bible, and we're going to get there right now. Read with me in Mark chapter 14. This is what it says. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Well, why do you think Jesus would bring other people with him? Why do you think that is? Anyone have a quick answer? Why do you think Jesus would bring other people with him? Go ahead. He doesn't want to feel alone. You know, Jesus in this moment as a man is saying, I don't want to be alone. In moments like this, in this deep trouble, this deep distress, even Jesus knew that you had to have somebody to have your back. We weren't meant to do this by ourselves. So he invited them to come. See, Jesus, even in this moment, was not meant to face things by himself. So often we say, we can handle this. How many times have we said, how many times have I said, oh, I can handle this. Something happens at school or happens in my friend group, something deeply distressing. I hear news about a friend um, who's, who's, who's making very poor choices. Maybe I myself am being pressured into very poor choices. And how often do I say in my arrogance, I can do this by myself. I got this. I just need, I just need to take time alone and figure it out and, and kind of strategize and see how I can kind of manipulate the situation. Situation, but in the end, I'm going to be fine. I can do this by myself. Not even Jesus, the Son of God, did things by himself. So he invited these people to come with him. This is what it says in the next verse in 35. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass for him. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take the cup from me, yet not what I will but your will be done. Okay, so this is what's happening. This is dangerous. This is dangerous stuff. Because God is there in human flesh, in the body and the figure of Jesus. He's there. And he's praying to God. He's saying, God, I know that this moment that I've talked to my disciples about, the moment that I've told Peter, James, and John about, this distressful moment I know is coming. The hour is coming close to the time that I will be handed over into the hands of, of a traitor, my betrayer, and enemies that are plotting to murder me. I know this time is coming. Lord, if you see it fit, let this time pass. But 
not my will, but your will be done. See, he's not trying to compromise with God. He's not trying to convince or manipulate or, or, just, or give his arguments. He's not trying to figure out a loophole or a way out, or he's not having his parents call and try and bail him out. He's not using status or position or authority or, or a title or a business card or his office or his boss's office. He's not trying to use you know, his brother or sister. He's not conspiring with the disciples. All right, guys, how are we going to get me out of here? No, no. He's saying, God, I know the hour is coming. It's going to be here really soon, but not my will, your will be done. I am surrendering to you, God, in this place. This is a dangerous spot. This is the most dangerous spot in the Bible for Jesus because he, in this moment, is truly surrendering to God that whatever he wants, what he sees fit is what happens. So you hear about this cup. Why do you think this cup is so important? You know, I'm starting to get the idea that this cup is a little bit more than, than just a cup that holds, that holds water or soda. I'm starting to think that this cup is actually way more important. That maybe it represents something else. Maybe it's a symbol to something that God is doing or has done. So this is a little bit of the story. Jesus knew from the very beginning he was coming here to solve a problem. And the problem was sin. It's a problem born out of our rebellion from God, uh, born on our uh, desire to do it ourselves and not rely on God. It actually really comes out of our desire to be God. And you might think to yourself, oh, no, no, I'm in junior high. I don't want to be God. I want to be Justin Bieber or One Direction. You know, I, I don't want to be God. Why, why, why are you looking at me saying I want to be God? I just want to be you know, famous and I want to sign autographs and take pictures. I want to be a rock star athlete. That's what I want. You know, David Neal, he's like, I want to be LeBron James. I just want to play basketball. Shoo. Hey, LeBron James, I don't even know why. Right, you're looking at me and you're saying, I don't want to be God, but this is the thing. Every time we say, I know better than you, God. Every time we hear or read or listen to the teachings that God has and we say, I know what you're saying, God, but I think in this situation, I know better. It's us trying to be God. And out of that sin, out of that rebellion, there had to be a solution to bring us and God back together. Because there was fracture there, there was brokenness. So this is what happened. God, in his loving relationship with Jesus, this internal relationship, sent him into the world to do a couple of specific tasks. One, task one, to live amongst the people. To go, this is, you know, John, the very beginning of the John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to be with us as human beings living on earth. That's number one. Number two, he came to teach us. He came to teach us about hope and about grace and about God and about love. He came to teach us these things. And he got these 12 disciples together and taught them everything he knew knowing that they would go out and spread it throughout the whole world. Number three, he came to die for us, for you and for me. See, this moment was taking place where all the sin of the world, all the rebellion, all the I can do better than God, past, present, and future, that includes all of our stuff here, was put on Jesus on the cross. 
He was taken for this purpose. This, this cup that he's about to drink from now is the cup of wrath, the wrath of God. Now, you hear wrath, I want you to think anger. And when you think anger, you think your own anger. You think what your idea of anger is a selfish anger, sometimes an egocentric anger. You know, someone wronged me, so I'm angry at them and I'm upset with them. But for God, it's totally different. See, for God, he had, he had this righteous, loving, holy anger. Because he loves us so much, the rebellion cannot be in his presence. Rebellion from God cannot be with him. That's the reason he threw, he threw all these angels out of heaven, because they rebelled against him. So in the midst of this, where he's saying, Jesus, you are there to take on the sin of the world, yours, 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 Toffoli, yours, you know, Gabe, yours, mine, David, Neal's, Butel's, all of yours, Jack's, yours, yours too. Listen, to take on your sin onto himself, all of it onto him, and still drinking from the cup of wrath. So simultaneously picture this. And you all know what sin is. So think of this. All the sin of the world being poured onto one man. And all the sin, all the darkness, all the rebellion, and all of that cannot be in God's presence. So at the same time, all the wrath and all the righteous anger and the loving anger of God falls on Jesus as well. And this is the thing. God is pulling away from Jesus in this moment. This eternal relationship that's taken place, this eternal love relationship between him and God, he's being pulled away from it. All because he said and surrendered to God. See, surrender is saying yes to God and saying no to you. See, it's so difficult to surrender to God when, when you are, are very concerned with your status or the place that you're going to sit on his hands. You're more concerned with those things, and it's not like God's things. It's like your things. And Jesus looked at this and said, I want to give the example to everyone what it looks like to really surrender, to be in the most dangerous spot possible, to where you are not making decisions for yourself, but you're saying, God, Strip away all these things, all the things that are between me and you. Strip it all away, and your will be done. Not my will, not a mixture of your will and my will, not, uh, you know, uh, you can have the will Monday through Thursday, but Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's going to be my will. No, no, no. Not a negotiation, not a, a, a collaboration. It is, it, is, it is a surrender to God. This is what it says in verse 41. It says, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus said, I will go. I will surrender to God. I will say no to me and yes to God. And this is the, this is the thing. I I look at this and I say, maybe my plans are not your plans, God. Maybe there's something I need to surrender. Maybe my goals are not your goals, God. Maybe there's something I need to surrender. 
I'm looking and saying, maybe my anger is not your anger, God. Maybe there's something that I need to surrender. Maybe my grudges are not your grudges, God. Maybe there's something that I lead to surrender. And God, God, maybe my hurts, the things that I am hurting and broken over, maybe you actually share those hurts with me. And maybe you have a better plan to get out of it than I do. Maybe I should be more in tune with your will instead of my will. And we look at ourselves and we start to think, well, God, what is your will? God, speak to me and I'm listening. What do I need to surrender? My hands are open. I am willing. Tell me what you have. I want to do something different. I don't have every answer. I know sometimes I act like I have every answer, but that's how you're supposed to act when you're in junior. I like you have every answer. You know, at 28 years old, I act like I have every answer. Man, I have an office here. I should definitely have some answers. But guess what? Jesus has a plan. And he has answers. And in the midst of that, being God, he still surrendered all to his father. He said, I know what I'd like, but your will, not my will. Who's willing to say that today? Who's willing to sit there and say, I have a plan. And me as a human being, yeah, I try and negotiate stuff. I try and figure out how we can make this work. But man, today there are things in my life that are in between me and God. I'm standing here with my hands open. I'm willing to surrender. Who's with me? That's what Jesus is saying to you. Who's with me? Who, this is the most dangerous spot I've ever been in, the spot where I have to surrender to God and say yes to you and no to me because surrender is saying yes to God. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Quinn's going to come up. He's going to play some music. We are going to together, this is rebellious. This is a wild. This is a godly rebellion. This is what's happening right now. I want our hands to be open like this. I want us to say to one another, just like Jesus did with his disciples. This girl in the front row had it dead on. He didn't want to do this alone. And I don't want you guys to do this stuff alone either. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Quinn's going to start playing, and you guys are going to find people in this room to to pair up with. Two or three, but this is what I'm asking you to do. Find people that you know. Like, find people that you've known for years, people you're in small group with, people that you can be honest with and share stuff with, and you're going to stand up, couple up with those people, and go to different spots throughout the room. So that's action number one. Go find people, spread out throughout the room. Everyone get up out of your seats, get up, start moving, find places throughout the room, and then I'm going to give you some more direction. Get moving. All right, this is what you're going to do. Find people. Don't talk a ton. Just find people. Okay, just find people quickly. If you're not with anyone, see, you guys are together. You guys are fine over here. This is great. This is what you, Jack, get in here with these guys right here. Gabe, over, no, no, oversee this together. Figure this out, okay? This is what you're going to do. Listen, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to really take a look at your life and say, God, if there's something you want me to surrender, I'm here to do it. That surrender saying yes to God. Maybe for you right now, this is the most dangerous spot you've ever been in. Because you have to be prepared. If you're being honest about it, if you're being real about this, you have to be prepared to say 
no to you and yes to God. And maybe for some of you, you've never done that before. Maybe for some of you, this, this cultivates a ton of emotion because you think you have it all figured out and you've, you've lived your life this way and you've lived your life kind of moment by moment thinking like, I have this all together. I, I can handle this. But maybe if you were to be honest, on the inside, you are not feeling like you can handle anything and you feel like you're maybe falling apart. In the midst of that, God shows up and says, I don't want you to be alone. Share with one another just one thing. This isn't a big list of things. If there was one thing, maybe two if you want to, if there is one or two things that you feel you could surrender and say no to you and yes to God about, one thing that's standing in between you and him, make this the most dangerous spot in your life right now. Make this the place you surrender something. Share it with the people you're with. Just share it right now. I'm going to give you a minute to share it. I'm going to share this one thing. Just as you keep going, don't let me interrupt you. Just listen if you want to listen, but keep talking. I just feel so compelled right now that maybe for a few of you, like a few of you in this room, like what I just said sounded so cool and so surface level, but you're still saying to yourself, man, if I was honest, if I was really open, then maybe I wouldn't really be accepted. You know, people wouldn't really want to know the stuff I have to surrender because some of it is messy and ugly and just let God speak to you right now. If you're sitting there and you're like, I can't be honest. If I was honest with this stuff, people would not want to be around me. Listen, the people you're with right now want to be around you. Take this moment. Just, I'm going to give you another minute. Just be honest with each other. What, what are things that, are, that you need to surrender to God right now? Just take another minute. All right, guys, let me, let me pray over you. If you still need to talk, don't feel you need to leave right now. I'm not going anywhere. Leaders aren't going anywhere. If you need to stay here and, and share, do it. Let me pray over you for those who are ready to go so I can dismiss you. There's going to be letters at the corners. If you haven't gotten a letter yet, and you know what letter I'm talking about, pick one up before you leave. Let me pray over you guys real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God that openly says, that we need to surrender to you. Thank you for being a God that models what surrender looks like. And you know what, Jesus, thank you so much 
for being willing to surrender for me, for being willing to endure the pain and the, 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 the torture and the humiliation of the cross. Thank you for being willing to say no to you and yes to God and saying yes to me and saying yes to every student in this room. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God that cares for us. Lord, let this week be good as we prepare for Easter and for what you have to teach us. I hope every student comes back next week knowing that I'm excited to see them and that our leaders love them. And God, that you want them to be a part of this. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. If you.